Today, I'm so excited to start a brand new series with you uh, called Learning to Lament. And <clears throat> I believe that this is going to be an impactful series. It's something that I've been learning a lot about myself over the last year. It's a new thing for me in a lot of ways as well. Um, but I think it's something that's so vital to us in our Christian lives that many of us are missing this piece, and we've just never learned about it yet. And so I'm hoping that this is going to be a really great journey for all of us over the next several weeks together. Um, and so the best place to learn about lament in the Bible is called the book of Lamentations. Um, and so you can go ahead and turn there. We're going to be starting in chapter 1. Uh, if you don't know where Lamentations is at, uh, go to the middle of your Bible, go to the right a little bit, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, you'll find Lamentations. Uh, some of you maybe never even heard of that book before, um, but it's going to be really helpful to you. I really believe that today. So today I want to start with this message called The Hurt of Humanity and the Holiness of God, and how those things come together and what that means for us as followers of Christ. And so I want to start just by sharing with you kind of some personal testimony in this area. The first um, major tragedy that I remember in my life was my parents' divorce. Um, I was about seven years old at the time, and it came completely out of left field for me. Like, I thought we had a great family. I thought everything was going fine. I thought things were, were awesome. And then all of a sudden, we didn't have any family at all. And it just was gone. And I vividly remember the days and the years following that of just struggling with God. And questions in my mind of like, how could this happen? Right? Like, like we went to church every week. My parents believed the Bible. My dad was a pastor. Like, how did this, this is, this is not the way it's supposed to go. Why would God let this happen to my family? But the most, more importantly, the thing I think that I struggled with the most in that time of pain and grief was why God wouldn't answer my prayers then. Right? Why wouldn't he fix it? Why wouldn't he bring it back together? Why couldn't he get my parents back where they were? And even thinking back now, I can just feel like I was confused. I was hurt. Um, I was... I was honestly just, just mad at God. Have you ever had that experience? Have you ever had that tragedy or that grief in your life where you just, it makes no sense and you just, you're so angry, you don't even know what to do with it? I remember as a seven, eight, ten-year-old boy, I didn't know how to express that to God. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do with my grief. I think most of us have had some type of experience like that. If you haven't yet, live long enough, and I'm, I'm going to tell you it's coming. Unfortunately, that wasn't the last time I experienced tragedy in my life, surprise, surprise, at seven years old. Um, the first couple years of our marriage, we had a, a doctor um, tell us that, that we had a major health scare um, that could impact us and our marriage and our kids for years to come. Thankfully, it ended up being nothing. But I remember that couple weeks or a week or two where it was just like, what is going on? Where did this come from? It wasn't too many years after that that we had our first of several miscarriages, just wading through the pain and the, the tragedy of that. I know many of you have experienced that. 
during our church planting journey, I talked about this not too long ago, you know, I had this season in the middle of where we were trying to build this core group to start this church, and we knew God had called us to this, and it just seemed like God was absent and silent and not doing what he said he was going to do. And I remember just crying out to the Lord, like, God, what are you doing? Shortly after that, right before we launched the church, my wife Courtney was diagnosed with cancer, which led to surgery and chemo and radiation and just all the questions that swirl around. What is that going to mean for our family and for our lives and for our future? And, and how, would, how would God let this happen? Like, we're getting ready to start a church. The last couple of years, it's even been just the loss of both of Courtney's parents in a short time. These are just our stories. I know that all of you have stories like this too. Right? This isn't unique to us. This is part of the human experience of living in a broken world. And these moments of sorrow and grief, they become defining moments in our lives. And so I think it's super important for us as followers of Christ to ask the question, like, what are we supposed to do with that? What are we supposed to do with the grief and the pain and the sorrow that comes? How should we respond as Christians? Well, the biblical solution is called lament. And that's what I want us to dig into over the next eight weeks. Because lament lifts my eyes to God's perspective on pain. If we're going to respond in a way that's honoring to the Lord, we have to understand how he sees it, how he approaches it. And lament helps us get there. So if you've got your Bibles, look at Lamentations chapter 1. I want to just start with verse 1 here for a moment. It says, how lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become. She who was great among the nations, she who was a princess among the provinces, has become a slave. So before we go any deeper in the scriptures, I want to just start by laying some foundation here for the whole series. So point number one is just this. What is Lament. Let's define this word. Let's get some handles on this so we know what we're all talking about. Lament is how we bring our sorrow to God. Lament is how Christians are supposed to grieve through pain and struggle. Lament is not a quick fix. So you can get past whatever struggle it is in front of you. Lament is not a, a spiritual shot in the arm. Like, if I just give you a couple verses, then you're going to be good, and you can shrug it off and keep going. Lament is not some magic eraser that will take away the pain and the struggle like it didn't happen, so you can go back to the way things used to be. Lament is where our real-world pain meets God's grace. And as we start to look into Scripture, what we find is the Bible is full of lament for us to learn from. So this last year, I have found 
for myself and for others, new help and new hope through the practice of lament. And I believe that that can be helpful to you as well. And I just want to start just a, um, much of the series that I'm going to be sharing with you, I learned from a pastor named Mark Vrogop through his book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Um, I cannot recommend this book highly enough. If I'm going to, a lot of what you're going to be hearing from me over the next eight weeks came out of here. But if you want to learn more, if you want to go deeper, if this is something that's really resonating with you over the next several weeks, I would encourage you to get this book, read it. It's so helpful. Okay, so a lot of what we're going to be dealing with comes from here. But before we go into the principles of lament, we need to learn from the practice of it. Right? Before we, we can jump in and start doing this, we need to, to learn what it is that we're going after. So again, the best example of that's here in the book of Lamentations. So let me give you some background to the book of Lamentations so that you kind of have the context for what we're talking about. Okay? First of all, this book was written by the prophet Jeremiah. Um, and he wrote it in response to the, direct, the destruction of Jerusalem. All right, Jerusalem was God's holy city. It was, it was the, the primary place where God met with his people. And in 586 BC, it was destroyed. And Jeremiah wrote this lament, this book of lamentations, as a memorial to the tragedy that Israel faced when Jerusalem was destroyed so they would always remember this dark time in their history. See, prior to this, Israel had kind of reached the pinnacle of its kingdom, right? Under King David, under King Solomon, they were like top in the world, on top of everything, doing the best. Then Solomon's sons split the kingdom and ends up going into two divided kingdoms, and both kingdoms start straying away from God into idolatry, into apostasy, into rebellion. And for many, many years, through many kings, God was actually very patient with them, calling them back, calling them to repentance, but they just kept refusing to turn back to God. And so eventually he allowed them to be conquered and exiled, first by Assyria and then by Babylon. And at the end, Babylon carried out a three-year siege on the city of Jerusalem. And the people suffered immensely until finally they broke through the walls, they sacked the capital, and they burned the temple to the ground. They stole all the valuables, they carried all of God's people back into captivity. And so Lamentations is a group of poems that Jeremiah wrote in response to that feeling the weight of this tragedy and trying to capture that and record it for the Israelites' history. So today we're going to look at chapters 1 and 2 that together form one poem called a Hebrew acrostic, which means that each line in the poem starts with a new letter of the alphabet. And the reason Jeremiah organized it this way is because you're going to see that chapters 1 and 2 are a catalog of the tragedy that Israel experienced and he wants to see the he wants us to see the fullness of this pain and this sorrow from a to z and then as we push deeper into the book throughout the series you're going to see that when we get to the end 
there is no positive resolution. There's no nice red bow at the end of it. Like this is the type of ending that you hate in movies because it just kind of hangs out there waiting for God to respond. But what I want you to see as we start to walk through this is that there's a story behind the struggle. Right? There was a story that Israel was living behind the words of pain and sorrow that we're getting ready to read. And that same thing is true for all of us. Anytime you're pain and sorrow and struggle, there's always a story behind that. The people around you that you see going through pain, there's a story behind that. And Lamentations is a reminder that God sees our story. That He has not forgotten us. That He has a way forward for us. And His answer is lament. So the first thing I just want you to know is that we must learn to lament. If we're going to wade through the sorrow of this life still intact with Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, again, let's go back to the scripture. Look at verse 1. Let's dig in deeper now. It says, How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become, she who was great among the nations. She was a princess among the provinces, has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate, her priests groan, her virgins have been afflicted, and she herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head, her enemies prosper, because the Lord has afflicted her. For the multitude of her transgressions, her children have gone away, captives before the foe. I'm going to pause there. Second point today is this. When life hurts, lament helps. The very first word of the very first verse of this book is how. And that word and that question of how lingers over the whole book. It's the theme of the whole book. If you look at chapter 2 real quick, look at verse 1 of chapter 2. How does it start? Again, it starts, How the Lord in His anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. In fact, if you go back and you look at the Jewish Bible, the Hebrew Bible, the title for this book is actually different than ours. The title for this book is simply, How. And that question, that, that word, is it's, it's an expression of shock. Like, like, God, how... How is this possible? And it's a question of God, but it's also kind of a protest against God. You know what I'm talking about? Right? Like, how could this happen? How could you allow this, God? How, how, how do we go on from here? 
We ask those questions when grief comes, when pain comes. Those are the questions of grief. But they're not just questions. They're also this protest of like, God, don't you see? Aren't you going to do anything? Where are you at? These are questions of lament. So Jeremiah starts, he says, how? How is this possible? And then he goes through this catalog of Jerusalem and their pain and their hurting. Just pain after pain, grief and sorrow. It's just overwhelming. Like, look at some of this in these verses. Verse 1. She's a, he, he's, he's picturing Jerusalem here as a woman. He says that she's a broken and destitute widow. She was once a princess and now she's a slave. Verse 2, she's weeping bitterly with tears streaming down her cheeks. I'm talking like serious, ugly cry right here. It says, all of her lovers have abandoned her and her friends have turned to enemies. Everyone has turned against her. Verse 3, she was once, this was once God's chosen nation, but now she's forced to dwell among the nations as an exile, far from God. And in the climax, verse 5, her enemies prosper. They won. She lost, they won. God didn't show up this time. He didn't intervene this time. He didn't stop them. He didn't come to the rescue. Which leads to the question of how? How how is this possible? Look at chapter 2 for a second. Look at verse 2 of chapter 2. It says, The Lord has swallowed up without mercy all the habitations of Jacob. In his wrath, he has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought down to the ground and dishonored the kingdom and its rulers. He has cut down in fierce anger all the might of Israel. He has withdrawn from them his right hand in the face of the enemy. He has burned like a flaming fire in Jacob, consuming all around. You see, God didn't just let this happen. God did this. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 5, where we were just at earlier, it says, all her enemies prosper because the Lord has afflicted her. God chose this. It came through His hands. Which amplifies the question of how even more. How is this possible? There's this great tension here between her pain and God's sovereignty. And we don't know how to reconcile that. Which leads to the second question that we see in the text, and I think in our lives when this kind of thing happens, is the question of why. First, it's how. It's the protest. Like, how could this happen? Then it's why. why, why if God allowed this, why would God do this? Why did this happen to God's people? Why did this happen to God's city? Look again at verse 5 of chapter 1. Because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Down in verse 8, it says, Jerusalem sinned grievously. 
again in chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions, and they have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but have seen for you oracles that are false and misleading. Why has God done this? Because of sin. Because the sin of Israel, her transgressions, the multitude of them, the grievousness, the continued allowance without conviction, without response, without repentance. The people persisted in their sin against a holy God, and so God leveled his own temple. He scattered his own people, and he destroyed his own sacred city because of sin. You see, somewhere along the way, Judah started believing that they could just do whatever they wanted. They didn't have to follow God. They didn't have to follow his word. After all, they were the chosen people, right? Like, what? What's going to happen? They thought they were good. And they took God's grace for granted. And they didn't follow him. They didn't follow his word. And they continued in their sin. Why did this happen? Because sinfulness always leads to brokenness. Always. In the short term, in the long term, in my life, in your life, in the world around us, sinfulness always leads to brokenness. And I think, and maybe an even more important lesson here, for us as Christians, for us as God's people, is that God values his people, but he values his righteousness more. His love for us is great, but his commitment to his character, to his righteousness, to his holiness is penultimate. And so we see here the fallout. We see the devastation and the shame of sin just wash over Jerusalem. Keep reading with me. Look at verse 8. Jerusalem sinned grievously, therefore she became filthy. All who honored her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness, and she herself groans and turns her face away. With her, un- with her uncleanness was in her skirts. She took, on, she took no thought to her future. Therefore, her fall is terrible. She has no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. The language he's using is so full of shame and hurt and pain. He's saying this is all from that. It's all from sin. And it wasn't just one person or a small group of people. This was the entire nation. Because the entire nation was walking in sin, the whole nation was affected by the pain and the sorrow of the consequences. Look at verse 10. The enemy has stretched out his hands over all her precious things, for she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary. Those who you forbade to enter your congregation, all the nations came and they just started desecrating God's temple. Verse 11, all her people groan and they search for bread. 
They trade their treasures for food. They're willing to pay anything just to be able to eat. To revive their strength. Look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. Again, look at chapter 2, verse 9. It says, Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has ruined and broken her bars. Her king and princes are among the nations. Not even the, not even the royalty, not even the top guys were saved. They're all exiled too. The law is no more. They have no more access to God's word. And her prophets find no vision from the Lord. God has become silent. The elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground in silence. They have dust on their heads and put on sackcloth. They're mourning over the loss of the city. And the young women of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground, weeping, crying out to the Lord. This is the effects, this is the consequences of sin. Why was Jerusalem suffering? It's because of sin. But then finally, actually before I go there, when I was, when I was in high school, there was this time where we were studying the Holocaust in one of our history classes, and they took us on a field trip up here to St. Louis to go and visit the Holocaust Museum here in St. Louis. If you've never been there, if you've never seen it, man, I would strongly encourage you to go. It is it's really good. But I remember going in as a high schooler, and we talked about it, we had discussed it, we had studied it, but there was something about seeing the pictures of those millions of people, seeing the little models, seeing the artifacts of these millions of people who were mercilessly killed that just was overwhelming. Seeing the pain and the struggle, it made me physically ill at times as we were walking through. Just the horror and the, the heartbreak of seeing suffering and pain on that level of destruction. But I'm glad that I saw it. I'm glad the museum is there. I'm glad that there are memorials all across the globe reminding us of this heinous time of darkness in our world's past. So that we remember and we don't go there again. That's what Lamentations is. It's a memorial of the fall of Jerusalem to remind Israel of the heinousness of their sin, the pain and the suffering that it brought so they don't go there again. Pastor Mark Rogop, in his book that I mentioned earlier, he, he reminds us of this reality. He says it like this. I think it's so good. He says, it's a reminder that sin is that bad and God is that holy. And so as we wrestle through these first two chapters of how and why and what is going on, we finally get to the end of chapter one and we see a change. We finally see Jeremiah turning to God 
in the scriptures. Look at verse 18. Chapter 1, 18. It says, The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. But hear all you peoples and see my suffering. My young women and my young men have gone into captivity. I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and elders perished in the city while they sought food to revive their strength. Verse 20, here it is. Look, O Lord, for I am in distress. For the first time in the whole first two chapters, he, starts, he stops talking about God and he turns to God. And he cries out to the Lord in the midst of his pain. He says, look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns, my heart is wrung within me because I have been very rebellious. Confession. Confession of sin. In the street, the sword bereaves. In the house, it is like death. And so for the first time, we see him turn to the Lord, confessing sin, and he connects Jerusalem's suffering to its rebellion against God. And in the midst of the suffering, I believe right here we see that Jeremiah and hopefully the Israelites get a spiritual wake-up call. In the midst of the hurt, he has turned to the Lord. Which tells me two things about lament. Number one, lament longs for a better day that is coming. When we're in the midst of the pain and the sorrow, the reason we turn to God and lament is because we have hope and we have belief that there is a better day coming for us. That this isn't the end. Revelation 21.4 says that one day he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. For those of us in Jesus Christ, there is a day coming. There is a day in the new Jerusalem where there will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more crying. There will be no more need for lament. Because all will be made right. And so what we do now is we cry out in hopes that that day is going to come. Believing that our God is able. But also, here and now, while we're waiting on that day, lament offers learning to the hurting. It gives us a chance to slow down in the pain and learn from the Lord. Very much like a funeral. We just had another funeral in our family recently and just very much like a funeral kind of slows down the merry-go-round of life. You know what I'm talking about? When somebody close to you dies and there's like a few days there where like everything else just kind of stops and you just kind of have to just sit in that. That's what lament does for our spiritual lives. It slows down the swirl of life and it allows us to hear and to learn from the Lord in the midst of our pain. Ecclesiastes 7.4 says, The heart of the wise is in the house of the morning. That those who are wise, those who are really learning and growing with the Lord, 
They sit in that house and they learn through lament. Famous author C.S. Lewis once said this. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Oftentimes, God wants to teach us more in our pain than any other time. The question is, will we learn from him? Will we learn from lament? And so I want to just end today by giving you, again, just some handles, some lessons that I think we can start. It's going to be a long process. We've got a lot to go still. But some things we can start learning today from lament. As we walk through the next several weeks, you're going to find out that there are four parts to this practice of lament. And we see two of them show up here in the first two chapters. The first one is to turn to God. That was verse 20, right? Look, O Lord, for I am in distress. He finally turns to God in the midst of the pain. That's where lament starts. It's this prayer. It's this prayerful heart of turning to the Lord instead of away from the Lord when pain comes. And the second part of lament is complaining to God, which sometimes feels a little weird and hard, right? Like, can I really say that stuff to God? Like, am I allowed to, like, tell him how I'm really feeling and be angry and, like, vent my stuff at him? Like, is, is, can I do that? Yes. That's pretty much the rest of chapters one and two, right? Like, Jeremiah is just pouring out over and over again the pain and the anger and the hurt to the Lord. And there's a place for that and there's a way for that. And we're going to talk a lot more about both of those things later on. But three things today that we can walk away with. Number one, sin is the root of suffering. You see, all of our world is broken by sin. Romans 8.22 tells us that all of creation is groaning underneath the weight of it. And so sometimes we suffer because of the consequences of our own personal sin, right? Sometimes the suffering is just because we sinned and we're reaping the discipline and the consequences of that, like Jerusalem. But not all suffering is a result of personal sin. But all suffering is a result of sin. Because we live in a sinful and broken world and that brokenness brings suffering. Even if it wasn't our sin, if it's somebody else's sin or sin in general in the world, it washes up on our shore and we experience that suffering and that brokenness because sin exists. Which is exactly why we need the gospel. See, the Bible tells us, the gospel tells us that God is holy. And we are not. 
that he is perfect and he is righteous and that means something and that matters. And as humans, we fall short of his holy perfection and we sinfully rebel against him, deserving hell and wrath and punishment. But God in his loving mercy, he sent his son Jesus to make another way. To come and live a perfect sinless life and then go to the cross in our place to pay for our sin, to take the suffering that we deserve because of our sin. He put it on himself on the cross and he died in our place. And he was buried and three days later he rose back to life to offer us hope that there is a world beyond suffering. There's a world beyond our sin. If we will turn from sin and repent and put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we will be saved. And one day we will be with him in heaven. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more struggle. Just perfect bliss with the Heavenly Father. But right now, we live in a broken world. A world full of sin and suffering. And we long for a better day. We need to have this right in our mind if we're going to truly understand who God is. Recently we were at the funeral for Courtney's dad and a, a family friend was there and they were talking and she was giving her, you know, sympathy for his past. Courtney was receiving it, and she said, yeah, well, we responded with, yeah, well, we, yeah, I know, thank you for that. And it was, just, it was just God's time, right? To which the lady responded, actually, I'm glad you asked, because I don't believe that. She went on to explain that her daughter died when she was 18 years old. Tragic. And when that happened, this mother, she struggled with the thought that it wasn't her time yet, right? Like she was 18, she was too young, like it wasn't, this wasn't her time. And she said that she believed that it wasn't God's timing at all for her daughter to die, but actually it was Satan, the destroyer, who had come and taken her life. She was basically saying that the only way that she could make sense of this tragic loss and this overwhelming grief that I cannot even imagine what that's like, but the only way she could make sense of that was to separate it from God. God wouldn't do that. God only gives life, right? He doesn't, he doesn't bring death. I can't worship a God like that. And so she separated her picture of God from the pain and the tragedy and the hurt in her life. And while she was partially right that the death of her daughter was rooted in brokenness and sin, ultimately her understanding of God and his sovereignty became flawed because she was willing to turn, she was not willing to turn to God in her struggle. She didn't need to insulate God from her grief. She needed to turn to God in her grief through lament. 
this is what sin is. It's the root of suffering. And we need God's help for that more than ever. Second thing I want you to learn from this is that sin causes suffering beyond me. Have you ever noticed that oftentimes pain, sorrow, grief, it oftentimes makes us very self-focused, right? When pain and tragedy comes, we, we, we have a tendency to turn inward and forget that others around us are experiencing pain and loss as well. I'll just be honest with you, for me, most of the time, I have very little emotion for tragedies that are far from me. Right? Like if it's someone that I love that's really close to me, then yeah, I definitely feel for that. If it's someone that I'm connected to or maybe an organization I care about, okay, a little bit for that. But if it's, if it's far away, I tend to insulate myself from it. My, my, my natural reaction is to kind of put some distance there so I don't have to feel that. And yet, as Christians, we know that all of the major fundamental problems in our world, all the problems that we see throughout humanity that are surrounding us right now, that they're all rooted in the sin and the brokenness of this world. We can point fingers at whoever, and what, but, but ultimately it's rooted in the sin and brokenness of this world. And so our response as Christians can simply be to lament Lament with others. Lament for others in their pain. Instead of worrying about it or fighting with people about it or arguing or ignoring it, what if we just prayed? What if we just allowed ourselves to lament the brokenness of our world? How could God use that? Pastor Mark Dever once said this. He said, we watch the news so that we know how to pray. That's the best reason I've ever heard. And these days, most of the prayers should be lament. So sin causes suffering beyond me. And then third thing, last thing this morning, sin multiplies without lament. When we don't have a healthy biblical way to respond to pain and grief, we actually end up responding with just more sin, right? When we don't know what to do with our pain, we, we either push through it, like everything's fine, I'm good, I'm, nope, nothing wrong here, until finally we can't handle it anymore, and under, we just break underneath the strain and just lash out at others. Or we push the pain down, right? Like, hide it and just pretend everything's okay, I'm good, no problems here, and we just push it down and down and down until eventually we just explode. Because we can't live with the lie anymore. But the pain's not really there. Or we just immediately lash out at other people, right? Like our pain and our sorrow just comes flying out in anger and hatred and sorrow. And all three of those are sinful responses to the pain of sin that we're experiencing. Some sin is causing pain in our lives. It's pushing against us, and we're just responding in like kind. 
Lament gives us a healthy way to express our pain to the one who can actually do something about it. To the one who can actually help us in our pain. It gives us a place both for an outlet and for hope. Lament starts with turning and complaining to God in prayer. And so this week, I want to give you a homework assignment. I I want you to to work on something with me this week. With me. I'm going to do it too. This week, let's just spend some time mourning sin. Could be our own sin. Maybe you've got some sin in your life that you need to take to God and you need to mourn that it's still there, that it's continuing to have an impact, that you're continuing to suffer the consequences of it. It could be past sin, present sin. Maybe you need to mourn somebody else's sin who has sinned against you, that you're having to suffer the consequences of that. And you, need to just, you just need to be honest with God about that and just go to him in prayer and just mourn over the fact that that sin has affected your life. Maybe we just need to mourn over sin in general in our world and just the brokenness and just the rampant mess that we see as a result of sin. But this week, that's what I want you to do. I want you to just spend some time in prayer, in lament, praying and mourning sin that you see. Lament lifts my eyes to God's perspective on pain. It gives me a chance to see as he sees and to mourn that. And so here's how I want us to end today. How about we just start that homework right here, right now? I'm going to have the band come up here in just a minute and they're going to play and they're going to sing a song over us, but I'm not asking you to sing today. I'm asking you to pray. I'm asking you to start right now lamenting and mourning sin. We're going to open up the altar up here. It's our first use of our new altar in our new church. So I would invite you, if you want to, come up here and kneel. Kneel at the stage. Kneel at the chairs here in the front. And just kneel before the Lord and just just cry out and just mourn for that. If you want to kneel there at your chairs, that's great. If you can't kneel and you need to sit, that's fine. Whatever you want to do. But let's, let's just spend some time, the next several minutes, just praying, seeking the Lord, and mourning for the sin that we see. Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to pray. The band's going to come. You start praying right now. Heavenly Father, God, we, Lord, we are pressing into you hard this morning. Lord, we are asking and expecting you to do something great in our church, in our lives, in our families, as we submit ourselves to your word, as we study this important teaching of lament in the scriptures. God, it feels a little strange. This isn't our normal church posture, this heaviness. 
But God, we want to we want to see what you see. We want to have your eyes, your heart in this. So Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for not ignoring our pain, not ignoring our sorrow, not ignoring our grief. Thank you for giving us a biblical outlet to help us respond, help us process it well. As we start this journey, Lord, please be our teacher. Help us to grow in your word. Help to teach us, Lord, to pray prayers of lament, of mourning before you. And this week, Lord, right now, right here, guide us as we mourn the sin in our lives, as we mourn the sin in our world. Lord, we pray all of this in Christ's name.